welcome to The Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callian. Today's episode is the second instalment of the Comics Question series. In these podcasts, Bernard Calio and I discuss comics, graphic novels, and the place they inhabit within the broader books and publishing world. Recently, we sat down with Charlie Hill Smith, who, among many talents and pursuits, like filmmaking, has produced a new comic, Crime Scene Australia. Here's Bernard to introduce Charlie. Welcome to the Readings Podcast. This is Bernard Callio talking to you and in the section of the Readings Podcast called The Comics Question, where we examine comics questions. Uh, and the questions today are going to be put to Charlie Hill-Smith, a film director, theatre maker, ferret handler, yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> amongst other things, but mostly here, to, more here today because we want to talk about his new comic, Crime Scene Australia. This is a remarkable object that uh, I've just seen recently and it's a, it's a comic book that's tackling genocide, colonisation, the, the crime scene that we're standing on when we're standing on uh, Australian soil. And so I really want to know from Charlie about how this book came about. Charlie Hillsmith, welcome. Thanks, Bernard. It's lovely to be here. Can you Give us the t- ten-second description of Crime Scene Australia. As I say, it's it's a real, it's, it's something I've I've seen a lot of comics and a lot of Australian comics, but I've never seen anything like this. Uh, Crime Scene Australia is a revisionist history comic uh, in a Gonzo style. A lot of black humour, uh, the sugar that helps the medicine go down. Um, this is uh, edition one of what will be a eight-part graphic novel called Crime Scene Australia. Edition one is called Terra Nullius, and it covers the period of colonisation from 1770 through to about 1804, and that is Captain Cook through to the colonisation of Tasmania. And we've got Captain Arthur Phillip in there, we've got a lot of uh, white fellas arriving in Australia, and there's a lot of rum, a lot of sodomy. Uh, <laughs> and the lash. <laughs> uh, it is uh, credited on the front cover MA15, and yeah. I would definitely you know, say that that's who this, this comic is for. It's ab- absolutely for that. Um, but the, the humour, the, 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 the roughness, the, not rough cr- um, uh, craft, I would say, but rough, just the sort of the gleeful sort of uh, in, in engagement with this that's really... Uh, the violence, the sex, it's, it, it reminds me of uh, like the EC comics of the 1950s, Vault of Horror mm, right. and, and Tomb of Terror. You know, it's just like there are no holds barred in this comic. Um, wh- what, where did it come from? Where, how, what was its genesis? It began about 10 years ago with a local uh, Victorian Uh, Indigenous man called Robbie Thorpe, who's a fire and brimstone activist here in Melbourne. Robbie works at 3CR Community Radio, the oldest community radio in the world, I believe. And uh, Robbie's a a gun. And um, we met through Indigenous mates of mine from South Australia. And Robbie terrified me when I first met him because he's such an intelligent, vibrant, um, eloquent activist for Indigenous rights. And no holes barred. And he, t- he calls a spade a spade. And so when I first met him, I was sort of overwhelmed with his passion and, and intelligence and slightly uh, terrified. But we became good friends. And um, I would go into 3CR and, and, and do uh, discussions about film. I'm a documentary maker. And 
One night in my backyard, Robbie said to me, oh, look, you know, Charlie, all of Australia's a crime scene. You, know, you can't walk 10 metres in this country without walking on blood. And from that, that very sort of expression of crime scene Australia, that, you know, that this, is, that this whole place is, is a crime scene, we started thinking, Robbie and I, and we conceived this idea, why not do a story about a fictitious TV show called Crime Scene Australia where every week they're uh, cold-casing uh, famous frontier war events, massacres, uprisings, um, the genocide that took place, the, the grotesque barbarity of the frontier. Um, and whilst this uh, TV show takes place, it uh, transforms everybody taking place. The whole film crew is transformed by the experience. And so that's what we set out to do. And so Robbie and I conceived Crime Scene Australia. Um, and it, it took quite a few years to put together. I, I make films, so uh, I... That's my main focus, and I'm sort of off um, shooting films in remote Australia and, and Papua New Guinea. But slowly, we put together the team. Uh, I come from a, a cartooning background. Ah. I am a cartoonist. Yeah, right. Uh, and um, spent a lot of time at school not working, but, yeah. but doodling. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and grew up um, on a strong diet of combat comics and DC Marvel comics, but I really loved Tintin, and I really loved Asterix. The, 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 the comedy, the satire of Asterix, the geopolitical intrigue of Tintin, these, these sophisticated European comics in particular, I just I adored. And, and I, you know, I learned a lot about the world by reading these, these fantastic European publications. So I thought, you know, why not take Australian history, of which I'm a, an avid reader, um, and present it in a medium for a new audience who might not normally engage with Australian history. And because I love comics, I thought I'll give this a crack. So, and was that your suggestion to Robbie or did you guys come up with it? Go, well, comics could be the place to, like, I'm curious to see how yeah. that, like, was it initially going to be a film or, you know, that, that sort of, can you? And we talked about it a lot and then, and then I sort of stewed on it for, for weeks and months and went back to Robbie and said, hey, I'm thinking about it. we should do this as a comic book. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, my background in it, but also we could produce it independently without the expense of a film. So I work in, in films and I know how expensive they are. And, and, there's, and there's, I'm sorry but to jump in, but there's a lot of that message in the book like you can tell that the book has been made by a filmmaker because there's a lot of the language around this is a forty thousand dollar or four hundred thousand dollar shoot you know as the producers sure. wandering in and complaining about there being problems on the set and so it's got a it's got an insider's feel uh from the writing uh, as you say this this sort of uh, fictional um show that's being shot within the comic yeah, yeah that's so, true yeah. that's true and uh, we we uh, we include a lot of that uh, that sort of deconstruction of the, the process of putting together this fictitious TV show um, that turns into this bloody ghost story as, as it progresses. Yeah, so we, we started working on it. Um, I drew, uh, we, we conceived the ideas together. I sketched out a story. We sort of bounced the story backwards and forwards. So storyboards you're talking about there, that sketching out of yeah, the story? Yeah, yeah, initially storyboards. And then I, then I drew the first version in pencil. I did the first pencils. Um, which uh, were sufficient. I'm, I'm a fairly good drawer. But then I passed them to Michael Kumnick, who is a great friend of mine in South Australia and a fantastic drawer. Uh, you know, he, he makes my drawing look, look like sort of grade six work. Fantastic um, 
uh, composition. So yours were thumbnails, really. Yours were almost the storyboards for him to exactly. do the shooting version or the final version of the. Yeah, of that's the right. Yeah. And so he, he he took my my storyboards yep. and uh, f- uh, it, the first version, and he he upscaled them into beautiful work. And uh, he he is a comedian. He's a, a performer as well as a graphic artist. So he has this great creative mind. And so he he twisted the, the work and took the work one step further. Mm. Uh, then what, we bounced that around for a year or so, uh, and then I have a strong connection to Indonesia, and I have a, an Indonesian brother. I'm using air quotes here for yep. the listener. An Indonesian brother, because I, I was an exchange student in Indonesia as a, as a young fellow, as an 18-year-old. So my Indonesian brother, uh, Hedi Ibrahim, is a, a rock star in Indonesia, a literal rock star. A rock star. From a band called Power Slaves, who are like a massive metal band in central Java. Fantastic. But he's also... Does he play? Is he the singer? He's or? the lead singer. Yeah, so he sings, he sings like Axel from, from Guns <laughs> N' Roses. Yeah. This, wow! You know, that amazing, amazing dude. Really mellow, sweet guy, but with long black hair and covered in tats. He's also an incredible artist, line artist, and and loves comic books. So we passed Michael's pencil drawings onto Hedy, and Hedy did the ink work. And the ink work is 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 brutal yes. and strong, really, really graphically strong style. I totally agree with that. I think that the inking is really it really serves is serves the edge of this story. So there's an enormous edge, uh, uh, axe edge to this story, yeah. and and the inking serves that. It it it, it it's a bitten sort of quality to it. So no, I yeah, agree. That's it, right. It, and it's it's almost like a like a like a, 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 a lino cut or or a lithograph. It has that sort of that really edgy, super clean, high definition style to it. And then which, the coloring serves it. And then the coloring was done by another friend, a guy I met um, in Indonesia, a Balinese guy called Michael Gumla, who helped me. I was living in Bali for three and a half years before the pandemic with my family, with my partner and kids. And that's when I sort of finished the comic yes. book up while I was, I was in Bali. Yep. And in that first year of, of COVID, um, it's, it's a, n- another COVID project that comes to fruition. <laughs> um, Michael was there. He, he's a lecturer in, in uh, visual arts at a university in Bali and a really, really sweet fella and a great colorist. And so yes. he helped me do the black and white print of the comic book and then he did the colouring work and the colouring work really focuses the narrative it really does the black and white is overwhelming in it's an aggressive hardline style and for a comic book aficionado it's it's beautiful but for somebody who who um, doesn't normally engage in a lot of comic books it was kind of overwhelming you kind of read it and it was just like oh my god what's going on every every single cell was this 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 calamity of just of chaos yes they're very very active panels very active very very busy Um, but the color work really focuses the narrative on the subject matter on the character in question and of course the the um, dialogue bubbles pop out yeah. in pure white so that coloring process with michael gumla was a super important important part of it as well and then then you had a designer to put the the bubbles on or you did no that i did all that I did, you did yeah, all that yeah, yeah, okay yeah, so you're, yeah. you're you can do all that movement around that's right. digital business and that's right yeah, yeah so I, I i sort of grew up you know using photoshop and yeah. and and um a lot of design work and uh, and i had done some cartooning for ad agencies and stuff yeah right before I moved into film. Um, so I'll have a fair bit of experience in that sort of graphic design and, and graphic presentation, desktop publishing. Um, so to me, I'm hearing a, a, a classic story here of collaboration between people. You know, it's not like you're farming the work out to people that you don't know. You know all of these people, you're passing it on to each other. It's a conversation mm. about making making this book. Um, and th- so one of the other things we're interested in in the comics question is the question of how you get it 
done like mm. so and i think there's a crowdfunding um, yeah we, we, component. We, we, we did a possible crowdfunding about five years ago uh to get the money to pay for those three artists yep. to come on board um and we raised something like six thousand dollars it's not a huge amount of money no. but it was enough to you know give um uh, money to Michael, money to Hedy and, and to Michael Gumla for the colouring. So that was a very important part of the process. Um, and all of these things are expensive. Uh, uh, and but the most important part of, of what we've just described there is that, you know, m making a creative work like this is a team sport. Yeah. You know, it takes a bunch of people. And every time you, you take it to the next level, hopefully, if they're great artists, it steps up, the quality steps up. Yes, yes. So you have, you have this, 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 this culmination of artistic endeavour mm -hmm. that takes it from, from down here and it goes up, you know, levels every time you put it through the, the next artist. And would you say that that feedback happens back to you as... I'm assuming that I can think of you as the writer of yeah, this, this right. comic. So when art is coming back or drawings coming back, you're seeing them and going, oh, I can add another piece of dialogue here mm. or is that how that sort of the Yeah, there was a lot loop? of to and froing it and I would, you know, I would take Michael uh, Kumnik's uh, pencils and, uh, you know, red ink all over them and say, let's get rid of this, let's let's bring this up, let's move this here, let's add this here. And I, and so I'd sketch out more storyboards <laughs> on top of his drawings yeah. and send them, email them back to him. Uh, in that sort of two-way uh, um, conversation of uh, in a very visual, very yeah, visual yeah. way. Yeah, magnificent, magnificent yeah. process. And um, so I'm just looking at the cover here, and I just want to do a little bit of description because yeah. uh, so that people who are listening get it. So the cover is a pretty full-on cover. It's got the, got the line from Faulkner: "The past is not dead. In fact, it's not even the past." Love it. But we've got uh, <laughs> love it. We've got a white lady in the in the front. She's pouring a cup of tea. She's not looking. Uh, uh, she's looking very, very nervous. She's sweating. She's sweating. And she's about to pour this cup of tea, but the cup of tea is a blood cup of tea. And over her shoulder is a white fella, and he's got an axe in his hand, and he's attacking a black fella who's chained to the wall. This is a very confronting cover. It is, and yet it's drawn in this sort of like homely style yeah. that gives <laughs> it this sort of softness, yep. which is why I love it. So this is Michael Kumnick's. Okay. Uh, pencil work that, and colouring. It's his. That's his colouring and yeah, his right. pencil work. Okay. Um, and it's a slightly, it's a much gentler style than the finished ink work, mm. which, as you described, has this sort of cutting um, edge to it. Mm, 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 mm. But I, I suppose I, I, I look at this cover. I've looked at a lot, and I, I think to myself, Ah, oh, I'm that white woman. I'm the white woman. Got this stuff happening behind my back that I'm just going. I'm just going to keep on saying that it didn't happen or that it's over. I'm going to let's say that it's let's over. just have a cup of tea. Let's just have a cup of tea. You pour the cup of tea. Blood. The cup of tea is full of blood. Uh, so it's 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 very uh, literally graphic uh, representation of what you're going to find yeah. uh, inside and this sort of the peeling off the bandage uh, or the mm. whitewash uh, that is the job of the of the of this book. And yet, and again, I want to say that I don't see this attack on this on this these questions of genocide and and dispossession in this highly humorous highly charged sort of way you know, there's a lot of there's quite a lot we work nick and i work at readings there's a lot of literature out that you know there's more and more books about uh, massacres that yeah. you know that that's coming but this is a diff this is this is ha this has um sort of a uh, energy to it um that is it's that know, gonzo energy of, yes. of using a black humor and satire to attack very serious heavy issues 
And uh, I think that's really imperative, you know. Um, it's very difficult for us as Australians to come to this stuff and to, to face uh, this story. And if you can throw a bit of sugar in to make the medicine go down, it's very important. And I've done that with my documentaries as well. Right. I've, I've made films about the genocide in West Papua, uh, where, you know, 400,000 farmers and fishermen have been murdered by the Indonesian army since about 1955. Um, and, and it's been suppressed by most of the world. And I made a film called Strange Birds in Paradise, which, which tackles this genocide. But we fill the film with music. Yes. And that music lifts the spirit. So whilst you are tackling and, and devouring or consuming this terrible, terrible information, yes. which is making you feel awful, yes. you, 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 there, are rest, there are rest points. There is respite. And you, you, you get a lot of culture. And that culture gives you strength as you go on this journey of discovery. And the same with the comic book. Black humour in particular. I think it's important to, um, to have a laugh and... and um, uh, whilst we're not, obviously not we're not laughing at genocide, we are we are keeping the topic in a space that that is that is acceptable for somebody coming at this difficult material. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a it's another way of um, encountering it, I suppose. Or yeah, as as you say, of of of, of feeding this necessary information into into the culture. Uh, um, which is not a big, thick academic book or a very, very um, uh, serious, which are needed, a documentary. You know, it's, it's this, new, this other way of, of feeding, feeding the information in. And so now we, you work on issue two or issue two's... Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the next part that's of the right. plan. That's right. Yeah, we want to do eight of them. So the first one, as I described, it covers that first bit of the first fleet of Lieutenant Cook and when he discovered Australia um, before he was a captain. Uh, before it was discovered by the Dutch, before it was discovered by uh, yeah, yeah, uh, black fellows yeah. you know, tens of thousands of years before then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there were eight other Europeans who discovered <laughs> it before he did. So he was, he was, he was, re he was really laying it on thick. Um, <laughs> it goes back to the 1600s. I think the first one was a was a Dutchman. They're, they're all Dutch and Poms. So, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the second one will take us into Tasmania, and um, Tasmania is is obviously really incredible part of our history uh the only sort of really recognized uh self-recognized genocide by the british empire was the destruction of the indigenous the aboriginal people of of tasmania um so yeah episode two edition two we'll, we'll do tasmania in the beginning of victoria and we'll do eight of them and we'll go through each state and we'll come all the way through to now and obviously we can't cover every no. every incident every every topic but we'll the, the big brassy important super important um uh events in our uh history in our colonial frontier history will be covered and if i can get backing i'll produce them and get them all done in a couple of years mm. otherwise it'll be a slow creeping process of probably doing one or two a year um uh, as we as we sort of put together what eventually will be a full hardback um graphic novel well certainly um I've been doing Australian com the comics in Australia for 30 years and, and slow and creeping uh, seem to be the, <laughs> <laughs> the words that I recognise in, in my, my projects. So, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this big graphic novel. And then, you know, you get a little bit out and a little bit out. That's my, that's my experience. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, my, my um, uh, all, power, all, all power to, your, to your, you and your collaborators' arms in, 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 in getting it out. Are you at all tempted to... Uh, put it out digitally first and then go to print or are you wedded to this? To this so I've, I've, got, I've got a digital one and it's available on Amazon. 
Okay. okay. Yep. So okay. That's, a, that's a digital version of this first issue. Yep. So okay. Crime Scene Australia on yep. Amazon yep. Is, is, a, is a book you can open on, a digital version you can open on your computer or your Kindle. Yeah. But of course... We want people to buy, like, have it in their much, hand. Much better, you oh, know. This beautiful thing. You feel it. You flip it on a hot day like today. You flip it and it cools yeah, you down. Yeah. That's uh, right. You uh, can use it as a fan <laughs> to, as you sort of get into the the macabre uh, uh, stuff inside it, and you start to sweat. Yes. You can you can cool yourself down. Um, and you do start to sweat. I mean, it is the, the, the panels are very, as we've talked about, they're very full and the action is uh, unrelenting. So it's sort of, you know, you're, you, get, you get more and more um, compressed, I suppose, by, 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 by the comic book. Um, also, I do want to just talk about his, there's, a, there's an element in, in, this, in this comic book, which I think is a, a, a beautifully judged one. And this is, uh, well, we should describe actually that the main character, mm. um, whose name is Ernie Grant, yeah. is an uh, Indigenous man who's, present, who's the presenter. He's a presenter. He's an ex-rugby player, and, and he's kind of the token black man on Australian television, like Ernie Dingo was back in the sort of early 90s, and Stan Grant was as a fantastic journalist in the, in the late 80s. You know, they were sort of token Indigenous men on Australian, on a, on a whitewashed Australian television. Yes, so his ex-wife. Scene. Refers to him at one point as a coconut. You know, so people are calling you a coconut. Yeah, you're black um, on the outside and white on the inside. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so he, so he is, he's the colonised mind. You know, we Australians, be us indigenous or not indigenous, we are migrants, and indigenous Australians have become very migrant as well because they've been pushed off their land in the great majority. And we, of course, as non-indigenous, are all migrants, and we have what what post-colonial thinkers call a, the colonised mind, where we can't think outside of the, the, the racism, the white supremacy and the, and the, the colonial fascism of, of the great colonial experience. And a lot of Indigenous people suffer from this state of mind as well because they've been brought up in, in, in a white intellectual cultural space. So this guy is that guy. He is the, the token black guy. He was a great footballer. He, he's he's good-looking fella. He's articulate. He gets this gig on television and, and then he's given this gig on television in Crime Scene Australia. And this is his journey from being a colonised man. He, go, he goes through crisis, emotional mm crisis he has drug and, and sex addiction problems mm. and um and all of this will become apparent as the as the editions continue and he has to work his way and he goes on this long character arc yes. um to some point of redemption mm. um i've suspected it'll be somewhat tragic <laughs> redemption uh but yeah he, he's a really important character yes. and and his his name is ernie grant it's based on on, on the two great men ernie dingo and stan grant yeah. uh, who i have incredible respect for because they're pioneers and they really began um uh the march of bringing indigenous culture to australians and and therefore us beginning to dig into and analyze our history yeah yeah, yeah, and there's this um, confrontation between uh, Ernie Grant and um, a, a protester, a, a black fella protester at one of the yep. shoots. Yep. Um, Based on Robbie Thorpe, actually, yeah, that, right. that, that, that character. Yeah, Tommy T. Tommy T. Tommy from the T. Gadigal mob. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they have this moment there, and you've got not only his their dialogue in time, I suppose, in in in, in um, dialogue balloons, but you've also got. Uh, uh, um, Ernie, Grant, Ernie Grant's um, voice over, like a, in the caption boxes, and he says something like, "If only I'd listened to him, to that guy, that that Robbie Thorpe character, more at that point." So you're getting these um, foreshadowings, foreshadowings of of something something bad 
uh, is going to happen. Um, and that is um, over, that is emphasised, I suppose, by these little post postage stamp sized little drops in the, in the narrative, the death diary. So yes. there's these death diary instalments which come in, and they are clearly written much further on in time, um, looking back at the incidents that are being depicted on the page. Uh, but they're just giving us beautiful, in terms of narrative, in terms of horror narrative, in terms of genre narrative, giving us this sense of, oh, the sort of... Foreboding. The, the foreboding is, yeah. is and, and I won't even say what the last page of this, of this issue is, but it's a classic horror movie, ho horror comic moment, where, which I, I, I you know... I'd ga I gasped. I went, oh my, he's going there. That's oh, good. amazing. <laughs> Glad uh, to hear it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, very, 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 very exciting. So, and do you think you'll, st can you stick with this same creative group? Yeah, I really hope so. Look, yeah. if, I, if I can get the resources to keep producing it, these guys loved doing it. Yes. They all really enjoyed the the, um, the process and they enjoyed the story. And I think we all learnt a lot because yes. uh, the comic book is fully footnoted, you know, like like any good sort of documentary, um, you know, I did my research and, and I, I really wanted to cross the T's and dots, dot the I's. I didn't want to get attacked by um, academics on the left or the right saying your work is sloppy. Yes. yes. I really, I um, did a lot of, you know, I mean, this all comes from a lot of reading, you know, uh, the, the great historical work in Australia sort of began in the 80s with Reynolds and has continued through and really we're writing our best Australian history right now. Mm, yeah. And and all of that work is incredibly researched and had to be well researched because you're constantly getting attacked from the right, you know, calling it black armed history, you know, black armband history, um, the, the wind shuttle sort of thing. And, or um, um, Keith, wind toop. As he, can, <laughs> yeah, as he turns up. There's a character in it called Keith Wintoop, who's this sort of pasty vanilla comb over on legs. Uh, uh, um, but and he's, I suppose, you know, that's we're obviously in a parallel Australia because it's Keith Wintoop, mm. uh, but it's also the the, the uh, advisor on the show is Douglas Unipon. So oh, yeah. making you making reference, you're. You're sort of um, satirising wind shuttle, but you're also respect, you know, paying paying honour, paying homage to 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 great to David Anapon, yeah, yeah, the great Naranjeri um, inventor and 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 literary man, the, the guy who wrote the first indigenous uh, book in Australia that was stolen off him and published by some white printing company, but it would have been printed in 1936 and it would have been the first Indigenous novel in Australian history. But of course that didn't happen because he was ripped off. Yeah, yeah so we, we cross over. We, we, uh, it's important to have these parallels with the real world. Yes. Um, and obviously the history in here is, is, is the, the real deal. Mm. It, it's, it's, the, it's the true stuff. Mm. It's the stuff we didn't get at school. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and... You know, it, will, do you, can you keep making your documentary work at the same time as doing these? Like these, this, yeah. is a, this is a lot. This is yeah, a the, lot of the documentaries are my are my bread and butter, and I'm working on a couple of beauties right now. Um, one is here in Australia. I made a film a couple of years ago called Motorkite Dreaming, which is a, a crossover film between white and black Australia and a couple of crazy white dudes flying microlights from Adelaide to Broome across 20 Indigenous nations. And it, it takes an audience who wouldn't normally engage with Indigenous Australia but love adventure into Indigenous Australia, just like this does in a different way. Um, so uh, 
I'm now working on a film that's very similar to that. Uh, it's called The Oldest Song on Earth, and we're following a bunch of Naranjeri, a family of Naranjeri men, as they travel to Broome to collect a Naranjeri song from a song line, a, a 3,000 kilometre song line that's been kept in secret. Uh, protective custody since invasion, protected against the the the, um, the destruction of, of of high indigenous culture. So that I'm working on that film at the moment, and another film about women in politics in Papua New Guinea. So mm, you know, wow. great human rights stories, great cross cultural stories, and hopefully I can I can keep um, working on this whilst I uh, put uh, put food on the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, fantastic, fantastic. Um, uh, and can you talk? So we talked a bit about Robbie Thorpe. Can we talk a bit about um, Carol Carp Carp Carpenter? Carpenter, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Carol's a very famous Australian musician. He was a lead guitarist in the first black rock band in Australia called Us Mob. Before there was Coloured Stone, before Yothi Yindi, before Rumpy Band, there was Us Mob, and they came out of Adelaide in about 1980. And Us Mob released one album. Um, they toured the country. They blew the heads off audiences with this sort of deep purple, big rock chord, rock and roll music. Carol and I have been um, collaborators for about 20 years. Uh, we've done theatre shows together. Uh, we've travelled together. He was my Indigenous Protocols director on Motorkite Dreaming. Uh, and he comes into this project as Protocols director uh, with, with Robbie as well. But Carol in particular, and that means looking at all the content in the comic book that is about specific Indigenous nations yep. and speaking to leaders and elders in those nations saying, we would like to tell this story, is that okay with you? And they uh, all said, yeah, that, that, that is fine with us mm. um, because it's super important that these stories are discussed. Yeah. And Indigenous people know these stories. It's up to us, non-Indigenous people, to step up to the table by also learning these stories. Yeah. And then we can sit at the table in an equal position. But you've got to know your history. Yeah, you've got to know the sort of land that we are all um, sharing and to, to, know, to know where we've, where we've what, what's, been, what's behind us to get us to this point. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, that's what, that's what, that's, I suppose that's why, yeah, the crime scene Australia, uh, this comic has really gripped me by the throat uh, because, yeah, I don't uh, see that in other, in other comics uh, and I've been waiting for it really. Yeah, in, we've, had a, a we've had a few sort of superhero comics here, which yep. have been, been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and we've had a few really sort of beautiful bits and pieces, um, but nothing really sort of gutsy and, no. and, and political and, and culturally aggressive. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's this space. Yes. And, and, and that's why it's MA15 Plus, because it's, this, is, this has got a lot of heavy adult themes in it that it is not for kids. And people have said to me, hey, can you do one of these for, for, high, for school kids? Mm. And I would love to do that. Mm. I would love to do a version of this for school kids, yeah. but I need the resources. Because, yeah. you know, I can't, just, I can't just magically do it. You've got <laughs> to go back into the whole thing and work with these artists over months and months and months to make such detailed work. Yes, they are incredibly... <laughs> Horrifically <laughs> labour-intensive uh, uh, art form, particularly uh, my my thing is always you know you labour over a page or whatever, and then someone reads it in two or three seconds, and you go, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that that's that's one of the great tragedies of comic books, isn't it? Is that you, you do all this work, it might take you months, and people just go flip. That's pretty good. Where's the next one? Yeah, that was awesome. What else you got? Um. um 
I, actually, I did want to uh, ask you about that early experience of you going to uh, Indonesia as a young bloke um, and how that... It, it sounds like that was pretty um, formative in terms of your approach to making art or making making stories. Yeah, yeah definitely, it? definitely. Because, you know, like any good little white boy, I wanted to go to France, Italy and Spain. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and they said, you're going to Indonesia. And I was like, Indo where? <laughs> and uh, so they sent me off to Indonesia for a year. Uh, this, this student exchange program, and uh, I couldn't speak Indonesian. I, I could say I, I could say gosok gigi, which means clean your teeth. So, well, did that come in really handy? Oh, when brilliant! Yeah, yeah, totally got me through. <laughs> um, I've still got good good chompers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so going there was a completely turned me on my head. Um, I, I thought I knew a fair bit, fair bit about the world when I was a bristling eighteen year old, but it turned out I knew nothing, and I ended up in central Java unable to speak the language, no idea what was going on, um, eating food that I'd never eaten before, sweating my ass off in this sort of this incredibly hot city on the north coast of central Java. And I was in the minority for the first time. Yeah. And that changed everything. You know, I, people just stared at me every day, all day, wherever I went. And it was extremely disconcerting. <laughs> and uh, at first I was, I didn't know how to handle it and, and I would get angry and frustrated and... And I couldn't speak the language and I'm a very verbose person and that was extremely frustrating. But slowly, the wonderful family, the Soweto family who I lived with in, in central Java, beautiful family, who are still my family, um, we grew together. They taught me the culture, the language. I studied the language hard, Bahasa Indonesia, and I still speak Indonesian fluently. And I had an incredible experience. And when I came back to Australia, nobody in Australia knew anything about Indonesia and we still have a very very fractured and, and facile relationship with Indonesia artistically and academically we've got good bridges we've built lots of great bridges because the the, the artists have been going since the 70s and the academics have been engaging since the 70s and but politically it's puerile it's 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 um it's very undeveloped and we still sort of have this this um uh, I guess white Australia attitude to to our neighbours and particularly to Indonesia, where it's, that's the, the yellow peril in the north, which is that sort of Second World War um, attitude, which was inherited from the white Australia policy, which was inherited from the the, the closing out of Chinese migrants coming to Victoria in the eighteen fifties. So. I really wanted to try and build a bridge, a, a cross-cultural bridge, and I think that getting into that cross-cultural space has been what I've done since. And so all my documentaries are in that cross-cultural space. And I try and make films and I try and make art and, and offerings for middle Australia so that we can, we can lift ourselves up, so we can, engage, we, we can, we can um, learn more about ourselves, but also we, as, as identity, you know, as a nation of migrants, we are obsessed with looking to the Northern Hemisphere. And, you know, it was always the mother country. And then that was replaced by America after the Second World War. You know, and, and we were always subservient to these, these Northern powers. And intellectually and culturally, we were, we were connected uh, with these visions of the North. But that's not who we are. We are Australia, the mother of the Pacific, this giant continent that dominates this hemisphere with Indonesia to our north, who, which is the fourth largest geographic country on earth, the largest Muslim country on earth, 17,000 islands, and then Papua, the second largest island on earth, 
It only looks small because it's next to us, but it's enormous. It's 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 it's, it's giant mountains and, and and huge rivers and and it has the most languages of any place on earth. It has um, you know close to two thousand languages on the island of Papua. It's one sixth of all world of all human language. And then we have the Pacific. New Zealand and, and Vanuatu and, and, and Samoa and Tonga and all the islands, this is an incredible region and this is who we are and this is where we need to identify ourselves. This, this is our identity. And Indigenous Australians in their incredible generosity are still inviting us to be a part of this. And so if we can, if we can engage with that and have this Indigenous a sense of our Indigenous story at our, at our heart and, and then know our history and then project onto this incredible geographic, geopolitical space that we live in, this is a real new Australian identity. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of been my calling and, and, and that's how I um, make art and, um, and uh, films. Charlie Hillsmith, thank you so much for coming and talking to us uh, about Crime Scene Australia, about your work more um, generally. We... We're stocking uh, Crime Scene Australia at uh, our shops and um, we hope that I, I, certainly I personally and at the comics community, you know, um, really look forward to the rest of this, the rest of Crime Scene Australia. Yeah. Thanks, Bernard. Thanks for joining us. Crime Scene Australia is available via all reading stores or at our website, where you can also stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. This show's music is by Tom Hoskins and Bernard Callio. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present, and to come. Thank you.